The following is a message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. More information about Parkview is available at www.parkviewchurch.org. I'm Paul Donaldson, pastor of Global Outreach here at Parkview, and I'm so thrilled to continue our series on what matters most today. But before I do, um, Doug Fern, um, awesome servant of God that he is, gave a couple of announcements but left out the announcement that he is most closely connected to, which is that Faith Academy has an open house that's coming up on March 31st. If you're curious at all about what's going on at Faith Academy, that's their open door to you. They're not going to bring you there and then ask you for money. They're not going to bring you there and they say, now this is where you need to serve. They just want to open the doors and share the goodness of what God is doing in the lives of uh, making a, uh, a, a fantastic Christian education affordable. Um, for so many members of our community. So if you have any curiosity about that at all, March 31st at 11 o'clock. And if you can't make it to that date, they're going to do a couple of other dates as well. So you can be on the lookout for that. But um, praise God for Doug Fern and um, all the crew at Faith Academy and how Parkview Church has rallied behind them. And um, it, it'll be a good experience if you can make it over there. So... Would you please bow your hearts and minds with me as we ask for God's blessing and power on our learning and obedience today. Jesus, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for letting us get up another day and come together to the house of the Lord to bow our hearts before you, to open our minds before your word. Lord, let your spirit be powerful for us and all those who are seeking your name so that we might be quick to understand and quick to obey and that you would receive all the glory. It's in your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. So we're continuing with what matters most. Jesus is spending time with his disciples, and this is commonly known as the Last Supper. But there's a lot more than eating that's going on. Jesus is summing up what he's been living and teaching with the disciples over the past three years because he knows he will not ever be in this same teaching relationship with them again. The disciples honestly have no clue what's coming, even though Jesus has been telling them in many different ways he knows they're in for some heavy life testing. He knows that Peter will deny him three times. Jesus knows that his disciples are shortly going to endure not only fear, but a crushing grief of loss like nothing they've ever experienced before. When they see their teacher, their friend, perfectly righteous Savior, falsely accused, nailed to a cross, Jesus knows that Judas is going to be so grieved about betraying him that he will encounter and give in to the strong temptation of suicide. And even on this night, which started out with Jesus washing the feet of his disciples and teaching that they should likewise serve each other, a short time later the disciples' pride leads them to arguing about who's going to be the greatest. And these disciples are just like us. There are some of us who are wrestling with pride or in conflict with coworkers or struggling in our marriages. Some may be so crushed by life's circumstances, be it guilt or discouragement, that you've contemplated suicide. 
Some of us are battling addictions where it seems we have no power to escape. And some of us are fearful about the future. I know there are people here dealing with heavy grief and loss. And I know that some are too weary to pray. Jesus knows that some of you are burdened for your children or how to introduce your family and friends to the only one who can give them hope and a future. Whether you're in challenging times like these or whether they lie in your future, Jesus has a remedy for fearful and troubled hearts and minds. And today we will look closely at how he explains it. Let's look at John 15, starting with verse 1. If you have your Bible, you can open to this passage or you can follow along on the screen. This is one of my all-time favorite portions of Scripture. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a cut branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples." As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my Father's commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. Jesus is giving us a word picture in the vineyard that can help highlight what matters most for the disciples to understand and do. I was first introduced to vineyards driving from my childhood home in St. Louis to the city of St. James, where my dad and I would go trout fishing. I remember seeing huge batches of grapes for sale at numerous roadside stands. But the image that stands out in my mind is the pruned grapevines. I remember looking at the vines and thinking, wow, you guys have really messed up. Those are the ones with fruit. There we go. Those are the pruned ones. Because what I've learned is that if it's done right, it looks like you've killed the plants. I received a similar reaction when I was studying this passage with a small group a couple of years ago. One of the girls said, I've never understood this passage. It's always bothered me. Why is God cutting off branches and pruning? Doesn't he love us? I think we can misunderstand what pruning does for the grapevine and for us. Take a look at this before and after illustration. 
pruning branches, when you cut a lot off, see there it is before, and now when you prune branches, it increases the air circulation in the plant, which reduces the chance of mold or fungus. Pruning allows sunlight to penetrate and encourage growth in the most strategic places. Pruning allows the plant to direct its energy to the most fruitful branches, rather than trying to make too many branches and fruit buds, which results in smaller and smaller fruit. Pruning removes dead and diseased wood. Pruning takes away branches that are scraping and crowding each other. A properly pruned grapevine is a happy grapevine. These are happy grapevines. One caution, when Jesus talks about people who would not abide in him being thrown into the fire like cut branches, Jesus is not saying that a person who has put their trust in him can lose their salvation. Those people never started a relationship with him in the first place. He is saying what he said before, which is that people who reject his invitation to grace and are not bothered by the sin in their life at all, will face a time of judgment when their life is over. Branches that have no part in the grapevine are cast into the fire. But this is different from the person who has put their trust in Jesus, but is struggling with temptation and sometimes falling to sin, is grieved and repentant, never denying the truth of Jesus. Jesus did not cut Peter off or throw him into the fire when he denied knowing him. Your salvation is secure, and we could not keep what we could never earn. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 tells us, In him, Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the good news of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to His praise and glory. If you have not put your trust in Jesus, as long as you have life and breath, Jesus is waiting for you with the gift of His love and forgiveness. How does this pruning and growing and bearing fruit work for us in specific terms? Jesus spends the next eight verses repeating the same key word ten different times. The word is translated sometimes as remain, or as I prefer, abide. It's the same Greek word that Jesus uses when he's sending out the disciples to teach in villages early in their ministry together, and says, And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it, and stay there until you depart. That's Matthew 10, verse 11. The word stay, referring to the house where the disciples should live while they are teaching in a particular town, is the same word that's translated abide in John 15. What I love about this word is that it does not simply mean to stay in one place like you tell a dog to stay. It has an intimate place of continuing friendship, safety, hospitality, and complete provision for all of our needs. Let's look at the place we are told to abide. I'm going to say the word abide in verse 4, and I want everyone to say the two words that come next. Abide. Yeah. 
And every time after, it's abiding in Jesus, in his love, in his words. How do we enter into this place of abiding with Jesus? How do we get connected to the vine in the first place? If you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus, he simply says, come as you are. Admit that you're not perfect and that you need him to make your life new. You can tell him this at any time, in any place. Revelations 3.20 says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. And you can take that step where you're sitting right now. Or you can come up to pray with some volunteers from Parkview at the front after the service. Or you can take time to talk with Jesus when you get home. It's the most important decision you can ever make. After we step into a relationship with Jesus, we can look at the continuing aspect of abiding. If you have put your trust in Jesus, the single most important thing you must do is spend time with him. The first chapter of this book of John tells us, starting in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Your Bible, from start to finish, is Jesus. Jesus himself tells us in Matthew 4, verse 4, when he was tempted to find fulfillment in physical provision alone, it is written, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Romans 12, 2 tells us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is the good, acceptable, perfect will of God. The only way to renew our mind is to let the words of the Bible, by the power of the Holy Spirit, prune, encourage, remind, and shape us daily. Listen to what God told Joshua as he was taking over leadership of Israel and had the daunting task of entering into the promised land. Starting with verse 8. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. What can it look like to study the Bible daily? For me, often what works best is to have my Bible and a blank journal next to my bed. This is so I can get into God's Word before I even get out of bed and start getting distracted with so many other things. You can do it any time during the day, though. Before I read, I ask God to help me understand what I need to learn and follow in my life. And I'm most often reading straight through a complete book of the Bible and read different amounts on different days, depending on what stands out to me. The time could be anywhere from 5 to 20 minutes. So I pray, I read a chapter or part of a chapter, listening and looking for something that I understand or need or might need to share with someone else. And I'll write down the place in Scripture where I am, and I sometimes copy a verse or write a prayer, and sometimes a specific piece of action I need to take in my life regarding what I've read. 
At other times, I followed a pattern that you can find on the second page of your message outline of writing what I learn about God, what I learn about people, what I need to obey, which follows the Discovery Bible Study format. It doesn't have to be lengthy. I wrap up the time by talking to God in prayer. An acrostic you can use, which is also in the extra notes, to guide your prayer time follows the word pray. Praise, repenting of sin, asking God for what I need, and yielding to his wisdom and sovereignty. Let's look at a specific example together. I've been reading through the book of Proverbs, and in chapter 27, I read the words of verse 17, which say, As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. I copied that verse and was reminded that I had been meaning to contact a close friend so we could study the Bible together. I jotted down my obedience step, which was, call Kenneth today. I took some time to pray, and that was it. Reading the Bible daily will take effort, and you may go through seasons where it's a real battle. I do not do this perfectly, but I can see the effects clearly of abiding or not in God's Word. Too busy is one common reason I can sometimes use for not taking time in God's Word daily, especially when I'm caring for my mom. I'm up three to four times during the night, and she has to take medicine every three hours during the day starting at 6 a.m. I do the cooking, the cleaning, the laundry, and help her with everything. And sometimes I'm desperate for sleep. And if I'm not taking time in the Bible to let God nourish my heart, I can literally feel the impatience growing in my heart, my mind, and then my mouth. Fear starts to grow, and I start thinking more and more about myself. And yet, if I take time to be in God's Word, to tune my heart to His, the circumstances are the same, but I have peace in my heart because fear gets pruned. I'm patient because impatience gets pruned. I find joy in serving, and I can honestly say that the time with my mother is one of the most precious gifts from God that I have. I'm glad to have fear and impatience pruned out of my life over and over. Pruning is fantastic. None of us are too busy to find a daily place for tuning our hearts to God's Word. We just have to make it a priority and not give up just like eating food. Some people have told me the Bible's too hard to understand. I got an email from the father of a young man who's in junior high a couple of weeks ago. The father was thanking me for helping to teach the discovery method of studying the Bible at Parkview, which he shared with his son. And he asked his son what he was studying, and the son replied that he was studying the book of the prophet Isaiah. The dad commented that that was a pretty difficult book, to which the son replied something to the effect of, it's not that bad at all. By faith, this young man discovered in junior high what I didn't learn until age 28, seven years after I came to know Jesus, which was that there is a lot of incredible, easy to understand and apply truth to be learned in the Old Testament. 
even in Isaiah. Just read the first chapter for yourself if you don't believe us and see if you can find anything that applies to today or your life. For me, the secret in some of the books was not getting caught up in what I didn't understand, but continuing on until I did find something that I do understand. Sometimes I feel like Jacob, who wrestled with God in Genesis 32, just determined to hang on until I get the blessing that I'm seeking. I will never come close to understanding everything that's in the Bible perfectly. But if you have seen anything good in my life, know that it comes from what I do understand and that precious time spent intentionally opening my heart and mind to Jesus. I'm thoroughly convinced that another way of explaining abiding with Jesus lies in the greatest commandment, which says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. If you've never read a book of the Bible before, start with one of the life stories of Jesus. I recommend the book of Luke. After you finish Luke, read part two of Luke, which is the book of Acts. And Acts is like an overview of the rest of the New Testament because a majority of the books in the New Testament can be plotted somewhere in the timeline of Acts. Or ask God to start where, where he wants you to start, and he will show you. I discourage always skipping around because God put things together in context for a reason. And we should be willing to trust and seek that out. Some people have told me, I've already read the Bible. As if it was a one-time thing and they remember and practice every precept clearly. Abiding in Jesus through his words is an active, continual process. When I swim against the current in the lazy river over at the rec center, the second I stop continuous motion... I'm getting swept downstream. There is no autopilot for the follower of Jesus. Abide, actively stay in his word, or be swept into the currents of self-guided error. King David triumphed over Goliath. He was called a man after God's own heart. He loved and meditated on God's words most nights and days. And yet, when we find David in chapter 11... Of, this, of the second, of chapter 11 of Second Samuel, it's springtime when he should have been going out to battle. And yet we find him sending his commanders to do the fighting and walking on the roof of his palace where he's tempted to lust after another man's wife. He gives in to this temptation, has a child with her, arranges to have her faithful loving, valiant husband killed in battle, and David's life is forever burdened by the consequences that follow. If David was not immune from the effects of ignoring God's word, neither are we. I've heard some people say that encouraging daily study of the Bible is legalism. Reading the Bible is daily is no more legalism than it is for me to tell you to eat three healthy meals a day. Eat to live. Or others have said that the time doesn't have to be daily because it's the quality of time that matters. And how will you feel if I make you a beautiful, high-quality meal 
but then don't serve you another one for the next three days. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in due season. Don't quench the Holy Spirit's work in your life by ignoring his word. Parents, what is your greatest desire for your children? Do you want them to make lots of money? Do you want them to be famous? Do you want them to abide in Jesus, the true source of life and everything good? Look at Deuteronomy 6, starting with verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. If you want your children to abide with Jesus, you must abide yourself. You can't teach your children about what you don't know. The primary responsibility for teaching Jesus and his word is not given to the church. It's not given to the school nor the government. It is given to parents. And whatever parents refuse to let God prune gets passed on through generations until someone is willing to let Jesus work. The reason a young man in junior high is reading Isaiah is that he sees his dad abiding in God's word. Learning the Bible together as a family can be rich if it's continually linked to what's relevant in life. Not only sitting at home, but when you're out and about, or when you're processing the day before sleep. Listen to what's going on in your child's life and share scripture as it applies. The same is true for sharing your faith with others. It's awfully hard for us to share what we don't know. If you abide in Jesus and let his words abide in you, the Holy Spirit will bring words or scripture to mind at just the right time and just the right context. It was a verse my mom shared from 1 Corinthians with regards to a particular situation in my life that probably had the biggest impact in me coming to know Jesus. Sharing our faith is not just telling someone how they can believe in Jesus or sharing your story. It's a natural outgrowth of our time with Jesus, guided and inspired by the Holy Spirit in all kinds of ways and on all kinds of soil. It's also imperative that we study the Bible with others. This might be in a community group or with one or two other friends. Jesus designed us to flourish with others. That's why he gave us the church. But if your church experience has never included the life-sharing level of confessing sin, praying for each other, learning from what God's revealing through someone else, and encouraging each other to obey, you haven't scratched the surface of the freedom, the joy, and the life to the fullest that Jesus promises. If the group's large, we break into smaller groups for the life-sharing. In seasons of life, when I can't be part of a regular group, I look for at least one other person that I can connect with weekly, 
whether it's in person, by phone, by text. And please don't tell me that confessing sin or sharing life deeply is a generational thing. Scripture shows us over and over that confessing sin to one another is God's design, not something the younger generation invented. If you are ignoring this door to freedom, your argument is with Scripture, not with me. When we tune our hearts with God's Word daily, our minds can understand more clearly how to pray. Jesus gives us a second imperative invitation to ask whatever we wish, and it will be given if we are abiding in Jesus and His words are abiding in us. A good friend says he doesn't pray because God never answers his prayers. I ask if he's studying the Bible. The answer is no. End of story. James, the brother of Jesus, breaks it down in chapter 4, verse 3 of his book. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. My friend's mind is not being transformed, so he doesn't even know what he needs, much less what to ask for. As we are abiding in Jesus and letting his word abide in us, our prayers will begin to flow out of a transformed heart and mind, and you will see God work in some powerful ways. You won't question whether it's okay to ask God for physical healing because you will be familiar with all the many times Jesus cared and did heal someone physically. You will pray boldly and unceasingly for your lost friends and family because Jesus shows us with the persistent widow. You won't be afraid to ask God for his provision because you will remember that he taught us to pray. Give us this day our daily bread. You won't pray like you prayed before you knew Jesus because many of the things you wanted, you'll realize were not what you or others truly needed. Just like abiding in the Bible with others has incredible benefit and encouragement, so too coming to the Father to ask has individual, family, and community dimensions, which all complement each other. When I pray with others, I have endurance that I don't have on my own. Praying with others is a huge honor and blessing. The first time I gathered with some of this year's China team members to pray, it was truly getting a glimpse of their hearts and how God was working. It's one of the most beautiful things you can see in this life. When people pray, seeking God together, there is an honesty and a humility that we can't find anywhere else. We had an awesome time of prayer at last week's congregational meeting, and we will continue to have people up front after the services if you would like to pray with someone. We have a faithful Wednesday evening prayer group. Do whatever you have to to make this a part of your life. And now we've come to the fruit. And honestly, there's not much to say because fruit is not our responsibility. If we abide in Jesus through his word and act on those truths in love, we will bear fruit. Bearing fruit is not a command. It just happens when we intentionally undergo pruning, fertilization, water, watering, training with God's word. 
Don't be fooled into joining the fast fruit society. A good friend says, I don't read the Bible because it doesn't change anything. You might remember a storybook character named Toad. In the book, Frog and Toad together, Toad plants some seeds. And then the next day, he's out shouting at the seeds because they're not growing. We forget so quickly that fruit takes time to grow. Fruit needs time of pruning. Fruit needs time of dormancy. Fruit needs fertilization. Fruit needs water. Fruit will bear in due season. Even when it looks like nothing's going on and we can't see any results, if we are abiding in Jesus' words and love, fruit is growing. Even on gnarly old stumps that look dead to me, fruit is coming. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, humility, forgiveness, protection, trust, hope, perseverance. We see incredible fruit in the life of David, who had a chance to kill Saul, the king of Israel, who was hunting him down to kill him. And yet David put his trust in God's word that God was sovereign and would remove the king himself when it was time. Or consider a story shared by a Chinese friend who came to believe in Jesus. Last time when I was home for a visit, my mom made fish. She knows I hate fish. But she forgets because she likes fish. It always makes me so angry. But this time when she made me fish, I didn't say anything. And I wasn't angry. It was amazing. We had a very nice time of sharing life. I think this is a big difference. That's good fruit. And one final fruit I want to highlight, wisdom. Psalm 111 verse 10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is also another way of expressing the all-encompassing abiding. True wisdom only comes from God, and the only way we can get it and test it is by abiding in God's Word, letting His wisdom transform our hearts and minds. It's like tuning the radio station of our heart to the loud and clear Holy Spirit frequency. Men can sound perfectly logical and yet still lack God's wisdom. Abiding in the wisdom of God in His Word allows us to clearly identify the voice of Satan, our enemy, who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy, and yet masquerades as an angel of light. He often tries to twist the truth of God. Do you think that Jesus would have forgiven Judas for betraying him if Judas had stopped to remember Jesus' words and asked for forgiveness? Of course Jesus would have forgiven him. There was no need for him to commit suicide. He could have had a fruitful ministry with the other disciples. 
But I'm certain Judas could only hear the words of condemnation in his heart, the voice of Satan pretending to be truth and yet seeking to destroy. If Judas had tuned his heart and mind to Jesus' words, he would have heard, Come to me if you're carrying a heavy load, and I will give you rest. Or, God did not send his son in the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Satan, the accuser, will tell you that you're guilty. He'll tell you that there's no hope and that you are hopeless. Daily abiding in God's word will help you recognize the gentle, reassuring, encouraging voice of God telling you where the safe place is or the way out of temptation, seeking after you when you've strayed, reminding you of the beautiful truths we can find in the first chapter of 1 John, that we need only confess our sin and ask for his forgiveness and receive it instantly and completely. Or that when we draw near to God, he draws near to us. Or that he is close to the crushed and brokenhearted. Let's abide together in Jesus so that we will bear good fruit and that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. Would you please pray with me? Father God, please be in all of our thoughts. Lord, if there are specific steps that we need to take based on what we've heard today, Lord, give us the, the faith to write these things down even before we leave this place. Lord, let us see how we can abide in you and let you abide in us and bear fruit for your glory. And it's in your holy name we ask and pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Parkview Church in Iowa City, Iowa. Parkview's mission is to love God, love others, and serve the world. If you live in the Iowa City area, we invite you to join us in person for services every weekend. You can get service times and directions, download messages, and get news and information about Parkview Church by visiting www.parkviewchurch.org. You can also contact us by phone at 319-354-5580 or write to us at Parkview Church, 15 Foster Road, Iowa City, Iowa, 52245.